Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk. How are we doing? Happy Halloween, if you're allowed to say that in your house. Some people don't like to say that. If not, happy harvest party to you. Uh, If you're watching online, we're glad that you're here uh, as well. Uh, Most of you guys know, some of you know our story a little bit. Uh, Most of you guys know that I grew up in Florida. And so I grew up in Florida all my life. My parents, uh, I was born in Michigan. They moved us down to Florida uh, when I was five years old. And, And so when I moved to Florida, and you've heard me talk about this some before, uh, I became a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. And that was, you know, we didn't, when I first moved to Florida, there weren't a lot of teams in Florida uh, of any sport, uh, but the Bucks were close. We lived near Tampa, and so the Tampa Bay Bucks were our team. And, and uh, if you know the history of the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, it has been a lot more losing than it has been winning. Uh, but then uh, two years ago, the Lord shined his just special on the Tampa Bay Bucks, and he sent to us, a man by the name of Tom Brady, who before that two years ago, I didn't like Tom Brady, but now he is a part of my family, and I love him. Uh, but, but they said, Tom Brady came, and, and uh, two years ago, or last year, we won the Super Bowl. This year, man, things are going pretty good. Uh, and so, man, yeah, it's, things are going good. I mean, living in the South right now, I mean, my friend Chris over here loves the Braves, and uh, the Braves are about to win the World Series. And the Bucks hopefully are going to win the Super Bowl, but but we, we're excited about and about the Bucks and, and the thing. Even if you don't like football, and, and my wife would fit into that category, uh, even if you're like the Bucks, what is that? Uh, even if you don't like that, there's a lot of people that have been intrigued by Tom Brady because he's an old guy. Uh, he's 44 years old, and I know that it's not old. I'm 44 years old, so it doesn't feel old to me. But to be a quarterback in the NFL, you, most people, they don't, they don't go into their 40s, and they, they especially don't play and have some of their best seasons when they're 44 years old. And Tom Brady, he's having one of his best seasons ever as a 44-year-old, literally playing with guys that were in the nursery when he first came into the NFL. Like next year when he plays, he'll probably be playing with some people that weren't even alive when he came into the NFL. So there's a lot of people that have been intrigued by him. And so they've, they've even you know, started to look at, hey, what has this guy been eating over the last 20 years? What's his exercise program been? And now there's been some books written and people are really intrigued. And here's the bottom line. They want to know what's the secret sauce. Like, what's the secret sauce, Tom Brady, where you can be 44 years old, married to a supermodel, having the best year of your life as an NFL quarterback, when most people, they don't don't play that long? What's the secret sauce? What are you doing that nobody else is doing? And maybe you haven't thought that about Tom Brady, but I guarantee you've thought that question maybe in another area of life. 
You, you may be in business and you've looked at a business that went from like just barely getting going to now they're booming and you look at that business and you think, man, what is the secret sauce? Why did they go from nobody to man, this, this huge company that's making a bunch of money? Like what's the secret sauce? You, you might have looked at some kids and, and you might have thought, man, how, how, do, how do I get my kids to act like those, those parents? I mean, those kids are so good. Like, what are those parents feeding those kids? What are they doing at home? Like, what's the secret sauce to have kids that act like that? As a 44-year-old now, one of the things I care about, which I never thought I'd care about, is I care about my lawn. I do. I care about my lawn. In fact, after I mow my lawn, I, I will usually say this to my wife, doesn't our yard look sexy? Look at this thing. Look at those edges. And, and I start to ask that, wait, what's the secret sauce when I see other lawns? I'm like, dude, how is, how is his grass two shades greener than mine? And what's he doing to that? And, I, and I, I'm old enough to where I don't even care about going and asking. I just go, hey, how'd you get your grass to look like that? And, and so I want to know what's, this, what's, what's happening. What, is, what are you doing that's making it look good? What are you doing in this area of your life that's allowing it to grow? Or, or, or you know, your, your kids, what are you doing? What's the secret sauce? What are you doing? What are the elements that cause something to grow and do well? Tell me. Last week, we looked at an organization and we looked at an organization that started very humbly and very quickly exploded. And we looked at an organization that you and I know as the church, and we looked at it from a guy by the name of Luke's perspective. See, there was this guy named Luke who was a doctor, and he wrote an account. He lived when Jesus lived, and he wrote an account of Jesus' life and his ministry. And then he wrote a second part of that account that we know as the book of Acts. And he basically wrote about how after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, he gave his followers some instructions. And then he, he, he talks to us about how he gave his followers some instructions. He told his followers, hey, I want you, I'm about to peace out. I'm about to go back to heaven, but I want you to stay here in Jerusalem. And I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit because something's about to happen that, that, that will change your life forever. And, and, and he was pointing to the beginning of what we know as the church. And so Luke wrote this in the book of Acts. And, and so Jesus, we, we looked at this last week. He left earth. He told his followers, hey, I want you to be witnesses. Take people, take what you've seen and what you've heard. And I want you to tell the, everybody. I want you to start at home. I want you to take this message everywhere. But before you do that, I just want you to wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so that's what they did. There was about 120 of them, and in that 120 was the, the 12 disciples, the apostles that we know, but then there was about 120 other followers of Jesus, and they're, they're doing exactly what Jesus said. They're just hanging out. I mean, I don't know if like Netflix binging, like I, I, we're just going to wait here in this room until the Holy Spirit comes, and Jesus told us to hang out. We're going to maybe do a Madden tournament or something just to waste some time. But eventually this Holy Spirit thing's supposed to happen. And so we're just going to hang out here. And, and Luke tells us what happens in Acts chapter 2. 
And it says this in Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. So this, this Pentecost was a, a festival that the Jewish nation, uh, they celebrated. It was the second of three festivals that they celebrated. It was about 50 days after the first festival, which was Passover. And, and so they're, they're, they're in Jerusalem, and there's people from all over the world that have come to Jerusalem for this, this festival, this huge kind of gathering called Pentecost, and they're just hanging out, 120 of them waiting for something to happen. And then it says this in verse 2, it says, suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. This is not a gentle breeze, this is like wind that would catch your attention, And it says, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. So they're hanging out. And all of a sudden, this this wind that catches your attention, makes you go outside to check and see if your fence is falling down. Like this rushing, violent wind comes and they see this fire come and it looks like tongues which sounds really weird, I get it, but this is what they see, this is how Luke describes it. And so they see this, and and Luke tells us in verse 4, it says, then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come to certain people, and He would be in them and on them for a certain period of time, and then he would leave. Well, in the New Testament, things were going to be different, and and, and now the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come and just be with some people and then leave. The Holy Spirit was going to come, and the Holy Spirit was going to indwell people that were followers of Jesus and be with them forever. And so these guys and gals, as they're sitting there waiting, 120 of them, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, they, they hear this wind, and they see this fire, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they begin to be empowered supernaturally to speak in other languages. They're able to literally speak known languages that they don't know how to speak. So, I mean, Peter might have been like, hey, I'm speaking German now. And, you know, John might have been speaking Spanish, and he never, I mean, I wish I would have had this gift when I was in eighth grade Spanish, because I didn't do too well in it. But, but they're able to speak in other tongues, and these are known languages, and, and the Holy Spirit's come upon them. And, and, and then it says this, it says this in verse 5, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation. When this sound, this rushing wind, this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Like something supernatural is happening. They, they've, all these people that are from all these different nations that are here for Pentecost, are here for this, this festival, this celebration. After this rushing wind occurs, everybody goes outside to see what's going on. And all of a sudden, they hear these disciples, these followers of Jesus, and they're speaking to them in their own native language. And they're looking at these guys like, 
These are all Galileans. And in fact, it got so crazy, they, they started to, some of them started to accuse them of being drunk. Like, you guys been like morning drinking or something because this is a little crazy. You guys, this is not right. You're, there's something wrong here. You guys are a little bit tipsy. I mean, you're, you're speaking in languages you don't even know what's going on. It astounded the hearers. And so imagine, just put yourself in this situation. Just put yourself in this situation. You're outside. You're hearing people talk to you in a language that you understand. And then Peter, who's kind of the leader of the disciples, he's kind of the spokesperson for the disciples, he stands up and he begins to preach amongst all these people. And the first thing he does is he points back to the Old Testament and explains to them, hey, the Old Testament predicted that what's happening right now was going to happen. And so he points to that, and then he very quickly begins to focus on Jesus. And he begins to talk about Jesus, and then he begins to do what Jesus just a few days ago told him he should do. He begins to tell the people what he had seen and heard and witnessed about Jesus. Verse 22, Peter says this. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Peter tells these people, he says, hey, you know this Jesus of Nazareth guy? This, this guy that, that is God's son, and God proved that he was his son by allowing him to do miracles and signs and wonders. You remember that guy? And, and here's what's interesting. Nobody argued with him because, I mean, there, this has just been like 50 days since Jesus died and rose from the grave. And so, man, they, if, they don't, if they didn't see Jesus themselves, they know like Sally, my friend, saw Jesus. And oh, yeah, John, my buddy, told me about Jesus. And so they don't argue. They, they know who Jesus is, and they know that Jesus did some miracles and signs. And, man, they've heard that he rose from the dead. This is, this is news that they've all heard of probably. And so Peter continues, he says this, he says, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. So Peter goes from, hey, you remember the Jesus guy and how he did miracles to prove that he was God and everybody's like nodding their head and leaning in. He goes, well, you guys killed him. You're the ones. It was you. And for them, the people that were there that were Jewish, they were the ones that kind of orchestrated Jesus' death. And the Gentiles were kind of the ones that kind of did it. The, the Jews were the ones that orchestrated and planned it. And the Gentiles, they were the ones that, that, that kind of carried it out, the, the Romans. And so, man, Peter, he's, he, he puts his foot in his mouth throughout his life. And he's pretty straight shooter. And so, man, he's just telling it like it is. He's saying, hey... You remember that Jesus? Well, you guys are the ones that killed him. You guys are the ones responsible. Though this was part of God's plan for all of history, you're the ones that orchestrated it, and you're the ones that nailed Jesus to the cross. But then he goes on in verse 24, and he says this, but God raised him up 
ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Peter says, man, there was no chance that death was going to hold Jesus down. There was no chance. It was impossible. You killed him, but God raised him up. And and, and Peter, he in verse 32, just a few verses later, he gives his kind of personal testimony of this. He says, in verse 32, he says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Remember what Jesus told these guys before he left? He said, hey, I want you to go and be my witnesses. I want you to tell people what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. And as Peter's talking to all these people, and there's probably thousands of people, and he's preaching and he's explaining to them that, hey, you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead, and we saw him. He's alive. We saw him. We're witnesses. We ate with Jesus. We stood with Jesus. We hung out with Jesus. We saw him alive. We talked to him. We are witnesses of Jesus. Peter, he then, after he's done, I mean, imagine, just sometimes we read scripture, and if, if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you haven't experienced this, but if you grew up in church, you read stories like this, and you kind of look at them from a distance, but put yourself in the middle of this story. Even if you didn't grow up in church, put yourself in the middle of this story. You are in Jerusalem. You've come here for a festival. You've come here for a big holiday. You've come here... To, to maybe check a box because it's a religious holiday and you're supposed to do it, but you're planning to have some fun too. And you're there and all of a sudden, this guy Peter, he stands up and he begins to tell you about Jesus, who you've heard of. You've heard of Jesus and his death and you've heard rumors of his resurrection. And, and, and Peter, he talks to you about this and he says that, man, I saw Jesus alive. I'm a witness of that. These people began to hear what Peter said in a way that maybe they had not ever thought of this before. And what Peter was saying to them had a huge impact on their hearts. In fact, it says this, if you look at verse 37, as Peter has just kind of preached this message, you see what happened to the crowd as they were listening. It says this, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. That word pierced means to literally to stab or to prick to their heart. I mean, most of us, unless you're weird, you don't like to be stabbed. You know, no one's like, yeah... can I sign up? Well, actually, we are signing up to go get shots now, but, but can, I, can I sign up to like, go get stabbed? I, I just enjoy getting needles stuck in me, and you know what? I just, I just do that day and a couple times a day just for fun. No, of course not. All right, you know, on a family night, we just take all our kids to the dentist and let him poke around, and that's just what we like to do for fun in our family. No, of course not. Why? Because, man, we don't enjoy being pricked. We don't enjoy being poked at. That's just not fun. It's uncomfortable. And we do everything we can to avoid it. I mean, for our daughter, Kate, we can't even tell her we're going to the dentist. We have to just put her in the car and then she realizes it when we pull into the dentist. I know we're not good parents, but that's what we have to do. Because if not, we have a day of drama before we go to the dentist. 
because she doesn't like that. I mean, you, you go into the doctor with my daughter, and if you, you know, you got to get pricked in the finger to take blood, I mean, you would think someone was act like going to chop her head off. I mean, she goes nuts. And I only know this because my wife tells me because I'm not the one that goes with her. Uh, I always have a meeting those days. Uh, but I can't stand to see my kids like that. That's, I mean, that's tough for me. Uh, but you're like, Dad, you know, get a little stronger and go, go to the doctor with your kids. But whether you're three or whether you're 73, no one likes to be poked at or pricked or stabbed, obviously. And that's what happened to these people's hearts. And, and you've probably had that happen where you were maybe even in a church and somebody was talking and you felt uncomfortable. You felt something pricking at your heart. You knew God was saying something to you. And that's what was happening here. And, and you see these people's response and it says this, and, and, and this is what they had. This is what happened when their hearts were pricked. It says they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we need to do? Like as Peter talked and as he explained to them who Jesus was and they, he talked to them about what Jesus had done, they began to feel grief and conviction in their heart. And, and for them, they, they just couldn't stay the same. They couldn't just blow it off. They, they knew something had to happen. And so they asked the, the apostles, like, like, what should we do with this? Our hearts are pricked. What do we need to do? And Peter says this. He replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to repent. And that word repent simply means this, change your mind. See, you, you, you guys that, that he's talking to, you, you didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. You, you didn't buy into it while he was here on earth. But, but this Jesus that you rejected and that you helped kill, you need to change your mind about Jesus. You need to no longer reject Jesus. You need to change your mind. You need to understand and, and buy into the fact that he is God, that he died for you, that he rose from the grave, that he loves you, that he's offering you a personal relationship. You need to change your thinking about him and you need to embrace him. And when you embrace him, when you embrace him internally, you need to tell the world that you've embraced him by Sharing your faith publicly through baptism, because that's what baptism is. It's telling people that I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to publicly proclaim that I'm a follower of Jesus. So Peter says, your, your hearts are pricked. You're, you're, you're feeling uncomfortable. What do you want to do? What are you supposed to do? You have to change your mind. You need to repent. You need to turn from the way of thinking that you have now, and you need to change your mind about Jesus. It's so important, and this is so important if you're, if you're here today and you feel like God has been pricking your heart about something, you're watching online, first of all, you need to thank God that he's pricking your heart. Because if he's not pricking your heart, there's a whole nother issue. And what happens is the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and he you need to respond. You need to change your mind about something. And if you continue to reject what he's saying to you in your heart, there may come a day he doesn't prick your heart anymore. And that's not a good day. 
And he was pricking these people's hearts. And they said, we, we can't stay the same. We have to do something. And Peter said, okay, change your mind about Jesus. Stop rejecting him and embrace him and publicly tell the world that you're going to do it. And so they did. And, and listen to what happened. Verse 41, it says this. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. I mean, think about it. Their church was 120 people strong in the morning. And by the time they all went to bed, their church was over 3,000 people. Well, I mean, what, what kind of day? What kind of day? What was the secret sauce? What is happening here? And, and what's cool is Peter, he, he continues to uh, talk to them, and then Luke continues to write about, okay, you, all these people have embraced Jesus. They've changed their mind about Jesus. And then what he does is he tells us that, man, these people, their agenda, their values changed. And Luke tells us what happened next. Because here's, here's what's, what's cool. It didn't stop with 3,000. It got to 4,000 and 10,000 and 20,000. And this thing blew up. But here's what happened. Here's what happened with those initial 3,000 people that said yes to Jesus. It says this in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That word devoted, it's, it means to, to give great effort, to exert great effort. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. See, they had come to the city with an agenda. They had come to the city to be a part of this huge festival. They had come to the city to maybe check the religious box and say, hey, yeah, we went to the Jewish festival like we were supposed to. But they changed their mind about Jesus while they were there, and now their life had radically changed. Their agenda had changed, and it says this. Now they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what was that? It was the life of Christ. The, the disciples taught these people more about Jesus. They taught these people more about the Old Testament, and these people leaned in. But not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they spent time together in fellowship. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They were in community together. A lot had changed for them. Their agenda was one part of it. But not only that, their values. These people, not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to community and to prayer and to, to, to really leaning on each other. But it says this in verse 42, 44. It says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. Basically what this means is they held their possessions lightly. They... they all the stuff that they had brought with them that was kind of theirs, they held their possessions lightly. And then it says this. This is radical. It says they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. So these people that had changed their mind about Jesus, their agenda had changed. Now they were 
studying the scriptures. They just wanted to know more about God. They were spending time in community. They wanted to, 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 they really leaned on each other. But then what they decided is, you know what? All of our stuff is not as meaningful as we thought it was. And so they began to hold their stuff lightly. They began to find out who had needs. And it was no problem for them to sell what they had and distribute it to people that had need. They were outrageously generous. And what's interesting is some of these people, and and one of the reasons they had to be outrageously generous is some of these families, when they said yes to Jesus, they were saying no to their family. They were saying no to their way of life. Some of them lost relationships, lost business because of saying yes to Jesus. Others of them that had come to Jerusalem, they came just to spend a few days there. Now they were going to be there for a lot longer. And so they had needs. And so you see this community of 3,000 plus people that studied the scriptures, that leaned on each other in community and looked for opportunities to generously serve and give and help because they held their possessions so loosely. What was important to them a few days ago wasn't important to them anymore. See... If this young church had a secret sauce, it was that they hungered for God. They hungered for God. They hungered for God's Word. They wanted to know more about God. They wanted to know more about Jesus. They they spent time in prayer talking to God. They had a hunger for God. If this church had a secret sauce, not only did they have a hunger for God, but they valued community. They understood they they could not do this thing alone. They needed each other. They realized that. And so they made community with other believers a priority. It was how this whole thing was built. But they also, they were known for their generosity. They, they looked at their stuff differently. They, they now were following the most generous person in the history of the world. And that person, his name was Jesus. And he had told them he was coming back soon. And so they said, man, why do we need all this stuff? And so they generously gave to those who had need. And what was the result? Verse 47 says it this way. Every day. The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day. Not, hey, on Sundays when we all get together, something happens. No, every single day, people were added to the church. People were turning from darkness to light. People were changing their mind about Jesus every single day. Whether you're, whether you're somebody, you're maybe watching online or you're here, whether you're somebody that embraces faith, maybe you're investigating Jesus, no matter where you are spiritually, try to put yourself in this spot. Put yourself where these people were, where they were seeing people saved and changed and outrageous generosity like they had never experienced. And it, was, it wasn't happening once a month. It wasn't happening once a quarter. It was every single day their lives were different. And it might be why so many people wanted to join because they saw something so different in these people. They wanted to be a part of it. And you might read that 
And, and you may think in your own mind, is that type of move of God, is it only for the early church? I mean, could we experience some of those same things today? Or is that just something that we'll always read about and be excited about for the book of Acts and for people that lived 2,000 years ago? Is it possible that God could move in some of those same ways today? And here's, as I was thinking, whether we experience that type of movement and power, I think it actually comes down to one question. And here's the question that I think... If, if we as a church, and we as a church worldwide in 2021, if we experience the same thing they did, it comes down to one question. And here's the question. Whose church are we building? There's, there's two answers. One answer is our church. We're building our church. We're building a church that's built on our power. We're building a church that is driven by our agenda. We're building a church that is there to accomplish our goals. That's, we, we have church the way we prefer it, and we want to do it with people like us. We, if we're building our church, then we're going to get our results. We're going to get all the results that our sharpness and our power and our influence, our little earthly influence that we have, we're going to get those results. And we're going to have a happy church that's built exactly the way we like it, that's very comfortable for all of us, and it's our church, and we can do that. Or we can build Jesus' church. We can build a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can build a church that is driven not by our agenda, but it's driven by the mission Jesus gave us. We can build a church that is, that is made to accomplish God's goals for God's glory. And it's really our, up to us. We can build our church. And honestly, we could build our church and it might be a little more comfortable for us. Or... We can build Jesus' church. It'll be less comfortable. There'll be people here that maybe you don't even like. You don't agree with their lifestyle. We may be pushed out of our comfort zone a little bit. And we may not even ever see the results of that on this side of eternity. We may not see the results until we see Jesus. But we have to make a decision. And for us as a church, from the very beginning, we have sought to never make this church about us. We've always, our very first value is Jesus. Like that Jesus will always be our lead story. We always want to be a Jesus church. We want to be a church that hungers for God because we're desperately dependent on him. We want to be a church that values community, that, that makes spending time with each other and sharpening each other, not just something we do to check a box, but something we know we need and we do on purpose. And we want to be a church that is outrageously generous. We want to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. We want to be a church that Jesus would be pleased with. We are a part of an unstoppable movement that Jesus started. And we take very seriously our role in reaching Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world. And so one of the practical things that we've done over our short history is every year about this time, we've introduced 
a Christmas generosity campaign. And we've introduced a Christmas generosity campaign where we as a church that's only just not even three years old yet, where we lock arms and we together do things on purpose to reach our community, the West, and the world. And this year we have two goals, and I want to share them with you. And then we'll, we'll talk more about these in the coming weeks. But we have two goals that we think if we can reach these two goals, that we believe that this will help us do what Jesus has called us to do. And the first thing that we're trying to do, and we did this last year, is we want to raise $5,000 above and beyond our normal giving, and we want to give it all away. So we want to raise $5,000 above and beyond what we already give, above and beyond our tithes, so that we can give every single dollar of it away. The church keeps none of it. We're not going to use it to pay anything for the church. We're going to give it all away. And here's, here's how we're going to do that. We're going to give it in two places. We're going to give locally. And so over this past few years, we've had the privilege and honor of partnering with our school system and providing Christmas food baskets for families that are maybe unlike yours, where you're not worried about if you're going to have money to buy a turkey for Christmas. You're not worried about if you're going to have the food for your family over Christmas break. But there are families very close to us in this vicinity that are worried about that, and we want to not make them worried about that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to partner again with one of our local schools, and we're going to take a portion of that $5,000, and we're going to provide Christmas dinners and some food baskets for families so that the great food that you're eating on Christmas, these families are eating as well. And then we're going to take some of that money, and we're locally going to, similar to how we've done in the past, we're going to give some of that money to buy Christmas presents for families that wouldn't have Christmas. And so this over the past two years, we've been able to do that for three families. And it's been cool. It's been a lot of single moms that uh, if we didn't do this for them, they would have a very, very little Christmas. And we've had the opportunity over the past two years to bless three families each year. And I'm not talking about just one little present. I'm talking about just like your family has Christmas, we've blessed these families and given all of their kids several things to make their Christmas special and to tell them that Jesus loves them and that we love them. And so we're going to take that $5,000 and part of it is going to go locally and we're going to give it to those two things. And then the second thing that's going to happen with that $5,000 is we're going to give it to church planting. If you remember, if you were here with us a few months ago, we said that by 2025, we want to help, help plant five churches in the West. And so last year, we, we helped Justin and Lacey, who are planting a church in February in Denver. Justin's been here. He's, you, some of you have met him. And we've been able to bless Justin as they are literally just a few months away from planting a church in Denver. And we're excited about continuing to support them. But this year, we want to continue to do that. We want to continue to partner with Justin and Lacey. We'd like to give them more. But then we have also want to help a new church. Uh, and it's a new church uh, in the Bay Area with Pastor Samuel and his brother Emmanuel. And they are planting, it's called Hugh Church, and they're planting it in the Bay Area. 
And in fact, these guys are going to be with us next weekend. And what's really cool about these guys, these guys, their dad is a church planter in India. They came to America to be educated. Here's what they told me. Chris, when we came to America, we expected on Sunday for there to be traffic jams. We expected there to be so much traffic jams because all we'd ever heard is that everybody in America goes to church. And they said, man, when we got here, Samuel, he graduated from MIT. And Emmanuel, I forget where he, I mean, very sharp guys. We we realized, man, there's a lot of lost people. And so now they live in the Bay Area and they are reaching people that are far from God. Yesterday, they had a pumpkin painting party. They, they did, they just copied us. They said, we're going to do exactly what you guys did. They had a pumpkin painting party, and they're going to be planting their church in February as well in the Bay Area. And we want to give to them and help them plant. And so you'll get to meet them next week. And so first goal is we want to raise $5,000 above and beyond our giving, and we want to give it all away locally into church planting. And then our second goal is we want to fill and send 150 Operation Christmas Child boxes to children around the world. Our first year, we were able to do 75. Last year, we did 125. And this year, we want to do 150. And we have a short video that tells you a little bit about Operation Christmas Child. The way we express the love of Jesus Christ and the passion that He had is that we go out there and we serve others. We go to the out-of-bound places, the ends of the earth. The world is changing, but the gospel doesn't change. The message of the cross doesn't change. We're going to make every effort to share the gospel. The world has been decimated by COVID-19, but the work here at Samaritan's Purse, it never stops. No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And we do it through Operation Christmas Shop. It's a platform that God has given Samaritan's Purse to share the gospel more than 10 million times every year. Jesus loves you. The wonderment of it is that the child's encounter is not with material things. By faith, the encounter is with things unseen, and they're receiving that for the very first time. So we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this because people are lost and need Jesus, and, and we have a part to play in that. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. And if you're, if you're visiting, you're like, man, you came to church and the pastor's asking for money. We don't do this all the time, but, but we're, we're, we're going to do this because I'm going to ask you to do exactly what I'm going to do in, as a, with my family. We're going to go outside on the way out. We're going to pick up a few Operation Christmas Child boxes. And over the next few weeks, we got two weeks. They need to be back by November 14th. We're going to fill those boxes and we're going to be excited about where God's going to send those so that the gospel will go out to children we may never meet, but we're excited that they're going to hear about Jesus. And then we're as a family, we're going to pray and we're going to talk about what we need to give, what God is going to call us to give as a family above and beyond what we already give so that we can at least reach that $5,000 mark and if we go over, we'll just give more away. We're not going to keep it. We're going to give every bit of the Christmas generosity money away. 
And so I would ask you to do the same thing. I'd ask you on your way out to pick up a few boxes. We need to do 150. And then then as a family, pray about how God would have you give and be a part of reaching that $5,000 goal. And if if you want to give to that, we're going to try to have that raised by the second week of December. You can just put Christmas generosity on your check. Or if you give online, there's in the drop-down menu, there's a spot where you can check Christmas generosity. But, but I believe God wants us to do this, and it's going to be exciting to see how God uses us in this small way to reach Yuba Sutter, the West, and the world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to be a part of something that you started 2,000 years ago. You started this church that was built not about, it wasn't about a building, it wasn't about a social club, it wasn't about any specific group of people, but it was a church, it was a a group of people that was built on you. And God, I pray as we examine our own lives, Lord, if we have been looking at the church as just a place I go to once in a while and a a box to check off my list to keep God happy with me, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to no longer look at the church that way. I pray, God, that we would look at the church as you look at it, as a movement of a group of called out people that are here to take your hope, your peace, your love, your message to the world. And God, as we have this opportunity as a church to just, in a tangible way, be a part of that, God, I pray that you would lay on our hearts how we can be a part of reaching that $5,000 goal and giving 150 boxes to children all over the world. And God, we we pray, we, we pray even now as we haven't even filled the first box, but God, we, we know that those boxes are going to go to children. And we know in those boxes, there's going to be information about you. And so God, I'm asking that you would take those boxes and that you would change the eternities of children and families that they go to. And Lord, we're so confident in the gospel because you've changed so many of our lives. And we believe that you desire to change others. And so, God, I pray that we would do our part. And God, if we're here and you've been pricking our heart about an area of our life, Lord, I pray that you wouldn't leave us alone until we say yes. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and and God has been pricking your heart about a relationship with Him. You you understand that Jesus loves you. You understand that He died for your sin. You understand that He rose from the grave and He wants a relationship with you. But for whatever reason, you have maybe stiff-armed Him and maybe you've been investigating and now the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart and saying, today's the day to step over the line. If you're here or you're watching online and that's you, would you just, in the quietness of your heart, just tell God that. Just tell God, God, I know I've sinned. Just tell Him. God, I believe that You sent Jesus to die on the cross and raised from the dead for me. Jesus, come into my life. 
and change me. I want a relationship with you. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you prayed and you asked Jesus to save you or if you have more questions, I want to encourage you if you're here in person to take the decision card in front of you and fill that out. Drop it in the offering basket on the way out and we'll we'll contact you. We want to help you with your decision. We want to help you with your questions. If you're watching online and you have questions or you just prayed to trust Jesus as your Savior, you can go to citywalk.cc and fill out a decision card there. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart about something, make today the day you stop saying no to God. Say yes. Whatever he says, no matter how radical it is, say yes. I promise you won't regret it. Jesus, work in our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.